Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everybody. This podcast episode talks about mental health and includes some triggering topics like suicide, depression, and anxiety. We know these topics are sensitive and difficult. And so we recommend that if you have any issues with these topics, maybe skip this one and join us next week for a lighter topic. Welcome to Goalie Science, the podcast where we bridge the gap between scientific theory and practice around the sport of hockey and specifically goaltending. We are presented by Jamie Phillips' Patreon. And this week, we are not just Ben and Jamie. We have someone else. So Jamie, who do we have with us today? Today, we have Elie Hoffman. I'll let her do her introduction herself, but we had met virtually a few years ago she attended um, a conference that i was presenting on blood flow restriction and since then we've talked kind of stayed social media friends uh i think last month we had talked a little bit more on the mental health side of sports and goaltending um trying to bring her a little bit more into the egm program on the mental health side and so i'll let her take it away so olivia tell the listeners or what viewers like who are you? What do you do? And and what's your background in sports? Awesome. Well, thank you uh, so much for having me on the podcast. It's a great pleasure. Um, a little bit about me and my background is I am born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I am a Southern girl, true and through. Um, I played many sports growing up from dancing, swimming, soccer, volleyball, softball, you name it, I probably played it. I specialized in swimming at a pretty late age in the game. So most people specialize in swimming around like five. They start like year-round swimming, which is ridiculous. So I actually started when I was like 11 or 12 doing year-round swimming. Uh, had the opportunity to walk on to the University of Kentucky swim and dive team. And when I got there, I thought I was going to do really, really well and just shine. But that did not happen. I was a very small fish in a very big pond. And so that is what led me to um, see a sports psychologist. I did not use someone in the athletic department. I actually outsourced and went to someone in the community, um, mainly because I knew I wanted to work in this field. So I, after I saw a sports psychologist, a licensed sports psychologist, I 
um, decided that, you know, this is what I want to do for other student athletes. It really helped me in my performance. And so now I am working on that degree to become a certified mental performance coach through ASP and also a clinical mental health um, counselor as well. And I'm doing that at Ball State University. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I've learned a lot. I get to work with a lot of really cool athletes and teams, and it's been amazing. Um, but my main role as a clinician is to educate, advocate, and connect. And so that's kind of what I hope to be doing throughout my entire life. So what was it for you? Like, what was the tipping point for you to be like, I need to reach out and I need to get some expert help for my own career? If I say my own game, it's, I apologize, we're, we're hockey players, we're used to saying our own game, but in your discipline of swimming and diving, what, what was that catalyst for you to be like, I need to speak to an expert? Yeah, so I was the number one recruit out of Louisiana. And I came in thinking that I was going to be contributing major points at the highest level, which is the SEC in the United States. That's the highest level you can pretty much get in college sports. Um, I came in and I freshman year, I was getting lapped. I was absolutely mentally exhausted, fatigued physically as well. I would find myself on the weekends crying every night on like Saturday, Sunday, once it was done, just like sobbing my eyes out, didn't know what to do. People were like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't think I'm okay, but it took about uh, it took about a full year for me to truly be like, I don't think I'm actually okay. Like, let me go get help and see, you know, what's out there that can support me. And so it took like that summer, I think I like went and saw um, one of my teammates recommended her sports psychologist and I saw her and I was like, okay, this is amazing. So would recommend. Sorry, go ahead, Beth. No, I was gonna say, I think, I mean, I think that story is for anyone that's um, competed in high level sport and gone through you know, whatever it is, whether it's poor performance anxiety or, or more personal anxiety. So I think the the common message there is like, yeah, it took me about a year. I think that is something that everyone goes through where you're like, no, 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 I can, I can work through this myself. I can tough it out. Yeah. Right. And I think, and Jamie and I have talked about that a lot about how that is the sport mentality generally, right. Where it's like, you know, no pain, no gain. Like you're supposed to, you know, trauma breeds talent, all these things where, yeah, there's definitely time and place for that. But there's also, you know, like Jamie said, there's a there's a line on what you said, Olivia. There's that line where it crosses where this isn't productive, this isn't healthy anymore, right? And so, I guess that leads me to to my first big question is now that you went through that in your own sporting career, and now you're you're working with athletes, you're in school for this, and you're doing that. What is your kind of like your piece of advice there for for people? Is it that if you have an inkling of going to talk to someone, go talk to someone? Should everyone just go and have that available all the time? Just go talk to someone, even if you're feeling fine. Is that something that we could be encouraging or or something that we should consider? Yeah, I think with mental health, a lot some people are starting to refer to it as mental fitness, and I really like that approach to view it as mental fitness because there are preventative things that we can do as people, as humans first, to ultimately help us succeed. Whether you're an athlete or not, I think therapy, whether that's like in the clinical setting or whether you just have a really strong support system, like having someone to guide you and walk you through life is really important because that helps you develop an understanding of who you are as a person. And when you know who you are, you can live according to your values so much better, so much more cohesively. You might not have those inner conflicts arise. Um, so I think absolutely every athlete 
should, even if they feel fine, just go check it out. See what it's like. And that way, if things aren't fine, you're comfortable going to seek those services. Yeah, and I'll toss it over to Jamie in a sec, but I, like, I couldn't agree more. I grew up in a, a very progressive household. My dad's a social worker by trade. And so um, the idea that everyone needs counseling, whether people realize it or not, is important, right? It's it's not just about when you're fearing for, but there's lots of things that you want to talk about and you might have a great support system, but ultimately those people aren't trained, right? Uh, and that's why people like you go through the school, get the training and are able to help people process that, right? Because again, when you're feeling burdened yourself, you don't want to pass that burden on to someone else. You want to have share that with someone who understands just, you know, what that actual process looks like. Jamie, I cut you off before. Please take the floor. You did. Uh, my next question would be, so for us, obviously, this podcast is goalie science. And, you know, you and I have talked about goalies before, but it's an individual position in a team sport. And that's very unique. And I don't know as much about swimming, but I know that it's very similar. You are swimming as both an individual, unless you're doing relays, but it's also a team. Um, for for swimmers or goalies or athletes that are in that situation, what do you find is like a common trend um, in terms of mental health and performance when it comes to being an individual on a team? Because sometimes, you know, when you're fighting against your teammates for a position, it's it's tough to reach out and say like, hey, I need help. You don't want to show your struggles. But at the same time, they're your team and you need to have that that bonding and that unity. So so what's that like from basically a, an athlete's perspective when you when you were swimming? And then what's that like for you now working with athletes that are in that situation? Uh, I think when you were talking about that, the first thing that came to mind was managing pressure. And you have internal pressure and you also have like environmental pressure from coaches, whether you're on scholarship, whether you're not on scholarship, whether you make the travel team, whether you don't make the travel team, whether you get to play, whether you don't get to play. Uh, and you have all these pieces that are going into your mental health and like what you're thinking about all the time. So as an athlete, you know, I was thinking about all those things and making sure that I was doing everything possible almost to the point where it was too perfect, where I couldn't sustain it. And that anxiety to be perfect is what made me crumble and the the anxiety that I wasn't going to be accepted you know wasn't going to be a part of this team that I wanted to be a part the feelings of belonging like that really impacted me as an athlete I think the athletes that I work with now also face the same issues of anxiety of what are they going to think about me how is this going to impact who I am as an athlete um, but managing like pressures and dealing with the pressures of letting your team down, even that one's really common, especially in an individual sport. And I'm sure goalies, I imagine there's a lot on the line when you're protecting the goal, right? So being able to manage those pressures and to not take it all on yourself when sometimes it can very well seem like it's all your fault <laughs> when in reality, it's probably not. What when you have an athlete that comes to you? Uh, I know you deal mo primarily with college ath athletics. Like, what does it look like when for you to kind of dive in and figure out like what areas this athlete is struggling in? What because you, you you mentioned a ton of things and it could be all of them, and maybe it's just one. So how do you? What's your process like in terms of kind of weeding, filtering through the trees and figuring out like what's what's holding this athlete back? I love that question because it actually 
opens up the opportunity to share like what the counseling experience may be like for athletes. And I think that's important when we're reducing stigma and talking about going to get services. So like what that looks like is you come in, you sit down in a room one-on-one and the mental performance consulting looks a little different than the therapy, but I've done both. So more so on the therapy side, you'll go through the consent information, the confidentiality, which is really nice because now this athlete has a confidential person that's not their coach, not their team at, teammate that they get to talk to. Um, and then we go through goals. We go through what do you want to get out of this experience? And maybe they're like, I don't know. I just need help. And that's fine. That's why we're here to help get that out of them, right? Um, or maybe it's like, no, I have something very specific that I want to work on. And that's what I want to get out of it. And then we start diving deeper into, okay, well, why is that there? You know, maybe what are your past experiences? Are they informing this current experience that you're having? Are you holding on to past thoughts? Like, what does your self-talk look like? Um, one of the biggest things I do actually is values. And so I really want to make sure that my clients' values align with their goals. And if they don't, then we look, when we start there and we kind of examine that. Yeah, I think also that's like a really nice kind of overview of what that experience looked like. But you, you mentioned something before, and I think this is important because I'm not sure people always know the difference, right? But you're doing work in both mental performance coaching and then on the complete side, the counseling role. And so while there is definitely uh, some overlap there, there's also like a pretty important distinction. Um, and so for people who are maybe considering uh, either performance consulting or mental health counseling, can you kind of walk people through the difference between and, and when you would choose one versus the other and what's appropriate and what's not? Absolutely. So the Applied Association for Sports Psychology has a really good infographic actually on their website that goes into more detail if you want to reference that. Um, so mental performance consulting deals really only with the performance pieces. Um, that includes any from self-talk, concentration, goal setting, um, mental toughness, maybe some like performance anxiety, like the yips, things like that. Um, maybe identity, but not too much in depth there. The counseling piece is going to be more so like the clinical mental health counseling. That is going to be if you are in distress, if, if what your experience is um, hurting or disabling you to function in da like daily life. Like that's where you're going to want to seek services. If, if it's impacting your social life, if it's impacting your relationships with your parents or your friends, um, your daily functioning, your ability to maintain healthy behaviors, lifestyle, risky, engaging in risky behaviors, things like that. So um, there's really big differences. And while there's a lot of overlap, it is important to know that. So I'm glad you pointed it out. Um, for athletes, I think a great place to start is the mental performance, especially if you're not having any distressing thoughts or feelings. Um, that's a great place to start because it's like, oh, I want to optimize my performance. I want to work on my mental fitness. It's more preventative. It also can help with some of the performance pieces. And a lot of times I'll have athletes come to me. We sit down for a one-on-one -on -one and I figure out Ooh, we might need counseling. That might be a better fit for you. So a lot of it we can determine together um, when we sit down. Yeah, I think that's I think that's wonderful, right? And I don't think we're going to touch too much on this, but obviously in the coaching space and the social media sphere that you know we all occupy in today's days, there's lots of people who will advertise themselves as, as certain things, 
and you know the the scope and the bl- lines get blurry sometimes so i think yeah i really appreciate you pointing that out i know that uh i have some colleagues who work in the space who again would very much appreciate the distinction and uh calling things out the way they're supposed to be but i i, I love that yeah i think if you're and again, I wish this was more available in when I was playing and I wish this was still available when people are playing right now, because it's not where there is this regular availability that, yeah, let's start with performance consulting, right? Because sometimes, you know, uh, anxieties might directly be just be performance anxieties. I get really nervous on game day. I feel like I just can't play because I'm just so, you know, what what am I getting humbug up on? And that's a lot different than I can't get out of bed today um, or I'm, I'm not leaving my house for three days while I until I practice again. Right. And that's where that, I think that distinction really is important. And I know Jamie and I spend a lot of time talking about how that's coming along. And hockey is a slow adopting sport. We say that all the time, uh, but definitely more and more recent years, Jamie, you can, we've definitely seen a rise in these kind of conversations and they're important, but we've definitely seen a rise around goalies in particular around this, right? Yeah, I think so too. And you'll see in the last few years, there's been more and more goalies, myself included, uh, retiring from a high level due to to mental health, especially a lot of people will say, oh, you were at your prime, you're at your peak. But a lot of times it's people don't know what's going on under the hood. And, and I've been very open about my struggles and that I worked with Bob Broden on the mental performance side. And the thing is too, is I think a, a really important thing that you touched on, Olivia, is that distinction where I, that try to, that Venn diagram, that performance, that mental health, where do they collide? What do I need? And, you know, when I, for me, like when I worked with Bob, we worked on that performance side and he was able to squeeze out a couple more years of my career. Now, when I look back, I didn't realize how much more I needed the mental health side. I thought I needed that performance side. So for an athlete, you mentioned first, try to go to that performance side, but let's just say you have, you know, you have a sophomore track and field athlete comes into your office and they start to talk to you. What things do you want like what what what, you, what cues are you looking for to be like okay this is a performance issue or this is there's there's something deeper this is a more mental health kind of issue i think we overthink that question a lot but simplifying it to asking them like is this what do you think it is because they know themselves best and i actually have had many athletes sit down across from me and we're talking and it's really important to ask the questions that matter, the ones that could impact, you know, their life. So asking and being comfortable asking, are you having thoughts of killing yourself? Are you having thoughts of like, you don't, you're not motivated to get out of bed, you know, with the overlap that I have with my um, backgrounds in the masters in counseling and the mastering in sports psych, I'm able to address some of those heavier topics in the performance work because I, I'm qualified to do so. But it also is really important for coaches to be able to ask those questions as well. So being able, if you hear something as a coach, um, so like listening is really important. So listen to what your athlete is saying and actually take them seriously. Um, we know that females are more likely to attempt suicide, whereas males are more likely to successfully complete suicide. And so like those are the questions that when you're sitting down with a a person, like they're human first. And so like you have to ask those questions that are hard and uncomfortable sometimes, but also necessary because they're life saving. So I think keep it simple. Yeah, sometimes it is that simple though, right? And I mean, Jamie and I 
with our backgrounds in, in schooling and in clinical work, right? That's something that, you know, we get a very little small amount and a good reminder to just be aware of. But again, sometimes it is, like you said, it is simple when you're trying to get stuff out of people, right? And so we always, we talk from a coaching lens um, all the time, right? Like, what are you trying to get out of the people you work with? And what are, you know, how do you start by setting goals with those people to identify what's going on? And I think, you know, ultimately, regardless of what position you hold, that's where it starts, right? Like making sure you're actually being listening. And for people who are considering, again, who are working with coaches or considering working with an MPC, so a mental performance coach, or, you know, considering the thing that they might need to, to talk to a mental health counselor, um, it's important to, to first understand, to know that these people should be listening to you, right? And so we've talked a lot about understanding that you're going to the right coach, understanding that you're working with the right person. And then I think is that I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm speaking for you here, but it sounds like that's the most important thing, right? Obviously, these professions should be listening. Um, but again, there's going to be people who, who do that better than others, right? And understand that not the first person you may go see might not be the right person for work with you, right? Absolutely. And like, so I kind of see it as a pipeline. So the athlete is having a, a struggle, like they don't know if it's performance, they don't know if it's mental health. Maybe they go to their coach and be like, hey, like, what are my resources? Or maybe they go to a friend because coaches can be scary. Um, and their friend's like, okay, well, like, try the counseling center. And from there, we can kind of assess, like, what they need. And if if you as a coach don't feel comfortable asking that, right, send them, maybe suggest that counseling might be a really good fit. And I've been really lucky to work with coaches who do that. I'm so thankful for the coaches that I've worked with. It's they're They've been incredible. Um, and they've supported their athletes so well. But I also know coaches that don't. So it's it's finding the coach in recruitment that is going to do that for you. Now, I know in sports, uh, coaches sometimes could be a lot. And in college, I don't know what it is about college coaches, but... Um, Sometimes they are a little controlling and very particular about how they deal with their athletes. Sometimes it is a little less so when you go pro and you're making money and you're more, you have more autonomy. But um, how is your, what's your relationship like as, you know, performance coach, like a counselor at a university when it comes to dealing with coaches? And I, I want to try to take this from the, the lens of, more if you know a lot of our listeners are younger uh, a lot of them are parents of younger athletes so when you're dealing with a coach what's what does that look like for you or is this something that players have to step up to themselves and be like okay i need this and there's little uh, very little coach referral or is it all coming from coaches Ooh, that's a good question okay at ball state we've been lucky very lucky with our athletic department we have a great relationship with the coaches that we work with. They are very bought into what we're doing, most of them. Um, and they really push for our like the mental performance pieces that we're working, that every team is working with a mental performance consultant, which is amazing. Um, but like, coming from my own experiences in athletics, right, at like for say, for example, at the University of Kentucky, it, there were some things that coaches didn't really like to hear or they would say you know like get over it or uh I don't even know that brings me back to my college years so I gotta kind of step back but there's certainly things that like college coaches don't want to hear um they don't want to deal with you know that's not their job as a coach to deal with that those kind of things right um 
So I think it, it's up to the athlete at the end of the day, like take responsibility for your own health and wellness, which is hard to think about when you're that young in college, but it's so necessary. And as a consultant and a therapist, like I'm always going to advocate for my client first and I encourage them to advocate for themselves because with confidentiality, there's only so much you can do. There's not a lot of me saying, hey, this athlete needs that because it's confidential. So it's really teaching the athletes, giving them the tools to be able to communicate effectively to their coach about what they need and having them listen to their intuition. Yeah. Saying, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just like, you jumped the gun a little bit there, but I think there's, you brought something that's really nice there. Obviously, this is such a complicated topic and especially yeah. in college, it's it's again, there's this connected network. But I think kind of your example between your current time at Ball State and your previous time at Kentucky, I think that also highlights the reality of, a, again, an SEC school versus a, a mid-major, right? And so for those listening who don't fully understand that, it's, is there is different degrees of funding, there's different degrees of organizational support, and ultimately, um, at some bigger schools, and this can apply to bigger organizations or more serious sporting organizations, there's more more pressure to win. There's always pressure to win. That, that's Everyone that's, wants to win. Right. No one wants to lose. But I was, uh, I was at a conference a few months ago and heard this really great presentation that was looking at mid-major soccer coaches uh, and, and trying to compare their approach to coaching versus um, like what they called as like high career successful coaches. So big D1 uh, major sport winning coaches. And the theme that came out from that was just how much more mid-major coaches valued the the holistic development of their athletes, right? Where it's like, ultimately, if you're, you know, if, it's a huge accomplishment to play collegiate sports, whatever level that looks like. But the truth is, if you go to a, a smaller school or a mid-major school, um, you weren't the best player in your area, probably, right? You're very, very, very good, but there is a difference to, to what that looks like, right? Your chances of playing pro is probably a little bit lower than someone playing at a big school or a bigger school, right? And so all those things, I guess, need to be taken into account. And I think that's kind of come back to what you're saying before, where there is some athlete accountability, even in mental health and understanding that, but trying to ground yourself and understand your own expectations, again, seems like that's a really, really key step in all of this, whether it's you know performance, whether it's mental health, is understand your environment and understand where your environment does support you and where it doesn't, right? Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> and yeah. like my experience at Kentucky, they were good. Like we had ample resources for mental health. And like I, I had friends go through what, you know, what they needed to go through with the athletic department and it worked great for them. I knew I wanted to work with the professors and the clinicians who were in the athletic department. So for me, it was really important that I didn't have multiple relationships with the people I was hopefully wanting to get hired by in the future. So that for me was a little different. So I'll provide that caveat. But I mean, it really depends on the coach. It depends on the, it, it, you said it great. We say it depends all the time. It's fine. If, you're, if, your, answer, if your answer is anything different, we just cut it anyway. So it's fine. <laughs> So like that'll just that'll just get muted if you did some, if you tried to give us a concrete answer. But ultimately, Jim and I come to this conclusion all the time, right? Where it's right time, right place, right person, and 
I think that's just something to really understand. And if, and you know, we brought it up both of us earlier is that for a lot of people, it takes a long time to get to counseling or consulting for the first time. Mm-hmm. It took me a year and a half. Yeah. The first time I went took me like well over a year or two. And that was, again, I think, you know, I probably said, oh, I'm a little overdue to this to a counselor like half a dozen times in my life. And every time they say the same thing is, you know, one, don't apologize Two, if I had a nickel for every time I would be retired. Right. And that's the common experience that everyone who or most people who go through this share. Right. Is that it's a process and as critical as athletes can be on themselves and especially on their continuum of performance to mental health. Right. Be patient with yourself. You're allowed to you're allowed to figure it out. Right. Also, if you don't like your therapist or counselor, get a new one. Yeah, Go switch. Like it's not that we're not going to take it personally if it's not a good fit. Like we want to help you like get better and thrive and ultimately like live a successful life. That's and all be all. We want to help you achieve self-actualization. We want to help you achieve everything that you want. And so like if it's not a good fit, find a new therapist. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, the the accountability part, you've hit on it a bunch of times. And I'm just going to hammer home with an anecdotal story, but I think it's really important that you guys had mentioned that took you like a, over a year. For me, it definitely took <laughs> multiple years and I thought that I could do it myself. And I think that that's like a important thing is you, you, the way that as athletes we're taught is, oh, you know, the adversity is good. You face this adversity now when you, when you get older, you get higher levels, you're going to be able to, to get through it. Or I probably read every single self-help book out there, hoping that one of them was going to provide the solution. And I just didn't, I didn't understand what I needed. And for me, it wasn't like the fact that, hey, you're crying after games or, hey, you are throwing up before games. These are not good. Like these aren't good things. And it's just, it's so hard for a lot of athletes to understand. So if, if you're listening or watching and, and something doesn't seem right, you go talk to somebody. Go talk to somebody. And now we're going to switch it to a little bit more of a later topic. So you work primarily in college athletics. Um, what do you find are like the biggest, not only struggles, but the biggest things that college student athletes have to learn, especially as they're making that transition from high school to college in hockey. A lot of players will play, they'll graduate high school and they'll play three or four years of junior hockey. So they don't go to school for many years and then they start up again. So what do you find are like the biggest struggles for those athletes that are starting out in college, those freshman athletes? Hold on. Did you say we're switching to a lighter topic and then say, what are the biggest struggles people have? <laughs> yeah, it went from, yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't phrase that very well. So what are, going to a more mild topic. Why does, why does everyone who plays sport hate themselves is my next question. Like, come on, Amy. <laughs> well, that, okay. All right. Do you want me to cut? Or, you know, we're going to leave this in. I'm going to leave this in. Leave my feet right toes in the fire. But to a more mild question, to a more mild topic. What is the meaning of existence? Life. <laughs> um, yeah, struggles. Let's hit it. So I'm really glad you asked this question. And I don't know if you, you know my research, right, Jamie? I think you mentioned it. But for the listeners, uh, okay. let us know. Let us know what you do. So my master's thesis, because my freshman transition was terrible, I really wanted to figure out, okay, what is it that athletes, student athletes are struggling with, especially as it pertains to their identity and their coping mechanisms. And so I had the pleasure to interview eight student athletes, uh, female specifically, um, from their beginning of semester and then at the end of their semester. And I just talked to them. I was like, okay, well, what's this transition been like for you? 
couple different themes come up in that. They're either really great transitions, their majority of them are, you know, it's challenging. I'm learning so much about myself. Um, I learned I don't want to be a student athlete anymore. Or I learned I want to be a multi-sport athlete, right? So the transition experience is really different. How that pertains to identity is when we have this athletic identity, which is defined by how much we relate to our roles that we engage in, so being an athlete, and it doesn't align with the expectations, the goals, the experience that we were expecting, that can create an inner conflict or crisis. Um, and so it's really important to like to to study this because it's not really studied that often or it's not done on a longitudinal setting, cross-sectional setting. Um, it's really important to know like, okay, what are these transition experiences like? Can we pinpoint a time when we should be supporting student athletes the most? Um, and from my study, I've kind of gotten the sense, and I'm not fully done with data analysis, so I'm going to throw that out there. But it takes about three months to adjust, whether you come in January, which is very early for a freshman, you come in in the summer or you come in in the fall. It'll take about three months to really adjust to the time management pieces, to the school, to the athletics. Um, I think I've kind of seen that in my own experience, too, of like it, it takes till about Thanksgiving break to really kind of reset, recoup with your family, your chosen family, whoever it may be, um, to be like, oh, this is kind of what I need to be doing in the future. And this is how I need to adjust better for the future. Um, But some of the major things that came up was learning to say no. So being okay with not doing everything. Um sacrificing certain things that maybe don't align with your values or who you want to be as a person. Um, And then the last one, which is my favorite one, is slowing down. Just smelling the roses, be grounded, be present, and be where your feet are. And I really like that one. What's, uh, those are all really good. And smelling the roses is probably the biggest one for me that I need, I need to work on personally, but um, what are some strategies that you provide, uh, you know, your athletes and your clients with when it comes to those, like those three major, major keys that you found in your research? Good question. I don't know if I've thought too far in depth, but I mean, I've had, ex- like, it comes up. I don't know if I have a system per se. Um, I think for saying no, you're going to have a lot of like, um, what's it when you're like assertiveness training? So learning to say no, assertiveness trading, and being able to communicate effectively is really great. For sacrifice, that's going to be a lot of values work. So knowing what your values are, that's really, really important. And that's something I didn't do until my senior year when I was transitioning out of sport. But having um, values to guide you. And then slowing down mindfulness, meditation, yoga. A lot of guys hate it, um, but then they do it and they're like, oh, that was that was good. So those are the three big ones, I think, for those pieces. I think like the thing, I mean, male athletes, we can dive into that all day, but I think there's definitely some hesitation and maybe again stigma or confusion, whatever it is, around things like mindfulness and meditation. And like all things we've talked about, those exist on a spectrum, right? So like what works for person A doesn't work for person B, even though it's all in the same mindfulness umbrella. Absolutely. Right. So I mean that's Again, not trained in mental health coaching, not trained in mental performance coaching, um, advocate to referring to people who are, 
But that is the thing um, that I do mention to people when they're like, oh, you know, I've tried this or I haven't tried this. It's like, no, well, you, you tried a version of it, right? And it's it's a process just like for people who are considering seeing a performance consultant or a mental health counselor, that is a process, right? It's typically not just you show up once, all right, I'm fixed or all right, I'm ready to go. These things take time and, and exploring them is not always that clear cut, right? Absolutely. And it, you, you don't have to like it, but at least try it and stick it out based on the recommended. Like they say, it takes about like, I think six-ish mi- like serious mindfulness sessions to like really like be like, okay, I'm getting the hang of it. Because it we start slow with mindfulness because it, it's hard to intentionally like go that into that place in your mind. So I say start out with a minute. Start out with two minutes and then we'll build our way to the 30 in the hour. Um, and there's simple ways, like the first one that I can think of, and this is the most common one that if you were to look up, like how do I ground myself? Five, four, three, two, one, grounding technique. Biggest first place I start with athletes who want to learn about mindfulness, I start there. You list five things that you can see around you, four things that you can touch around you, three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, and one thing that you can taste. That's mindfulness. That's having a, an awareness about what's going on in your body. And that's all we're asking our athletes to do. No, I think that's really good. And actually, we're getting close to the end, but I, I know that the the bridge between mindfulness and meditation, where people always get confused because you you tell an athlete, hey, like I want you to you know to meditate, you think there are some you know Buddhist monk trying to find nirvana, and so what what is that? Like what what is the difference between like what is mindfulness in your definition or how you explain it to your athletes in order to get buy in? It's a non-judgmental awareness of what's going on in your mind and your body. It's having the awareness to be in tune with the mind-body connection and how our heart, our heartbeat influences the mind. It is a little bit different than like meditation where you're just sitting there like omen, whatever. That's weird. Um, actually, I do that. So I, I'm, I'm weird myself. So I can't even like can't really bash it but you're on the goalie podcast it's fine there's yeah. it's a collection of people here yeah you're probably uh, the least weird person here i don't know i don't know i mean but it could be as simple as going for a walk in nature like that could be someone's version of meditation somewhere where they can be still and be silent with their mind which we know the mind isn't silent so just let that sit there yeah that Getting into your self-talk and stuff. But you know what? We Maybe we'll save that for a different podcast. But Olivia, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? Is there anything that you would like to plug? Let, let, let everyone know that, you know, in terms of what you do, where you are, where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at mentalcoachlive. That is kind of my platform that I'm using to build this community for mental fitness and um, performance. And then reach out to me via email. Olivia RC Huffman at gmail.com. That's also on the Instagram as well. You can click on my link tree. It'll guide you all to those places. But um, I'm always happy to, you know, work with athletes from youth to professionals. So if you want to work with me, let me know. Happy to do it. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Olivia. Um, ben, finishes off here. I hate this part. Self-promotion's self terrible, but... I do too. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's always impossible. But again, Olivia, I want to say thank you so much as well. Uh, I love these conversations. I think 
you know, this is self-promoting, but I think anytime we can amplify how important this is and what it actually looks like is, is really valuable. Right. And I think whether you're nervous before a game or you're nervous when you wake up, I think that spectrum is something that's always worth exploring. And it's, it's great to hear from people who are, who are working in this field. And, but what's more important is that everyone who listens to this likes and subscribes because that's what keeps Jamie's lights on everyone. Subscribe to Jamie Phillips' Patreon. But if you're listening on a podcast platform, rate us five stars, all that jazz that I hate saying. And without further ado, Jamie, we'll talk next time. And Olivia, thank you so much. Thanks, Olivia. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.